1: Hello, welcome into episode five of this weekly Twitter Spaces and Podcast. Thank you for being here. It is very kind. I'm joined by MLSaga.com's finest editor, Jonathan Siegel, and writer-editor extraordinaire, Ari Lillianwall. My good friends, it's nice for you guys to be here. Um, this is good redemption from we tried to do a Twitter Spaces when this feature was first being rolled out because we thought it might be fun. We figured nobody would listen. Uh, that choice was taken away from us because it was only in beta form. And none of us knew that that uh, our three accounts did not have access. Uh, so we prepared for it. We scheduled a time. It was uh, it was pretty tough. It's always nice to be humbled. So, so I guess that was good. We, no losses, just lessons. So Ari Siegel, uh, how's it feel that that uh, we got this off the ground right now?
0: It feels great, man. Like I'm uh, glad that we got to relive that <laughs> embarrassing debacle right there. But uh, I'm glad we're on. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on this podcast because I've listened to every episode, you know. I'm a long-time dedicated (laughs) listener. So to be on it as a guest, it's surreal, you know.
2: Ari's being far more kind. I'm going to say it's about time. We've been hassling you to let us on for (laughs) weeks. And finally, our request was granted. So I'm going to take this as a massive victory and say it's delayed. But, you know, I'm going to not complain too much and just be happy that I have the opportunity
1: listen to the sense of entitlement episode five and it's like when the hell are we coming on what what's going on here like that's nice that you have a podcast now or twitter spaces but what about us huh that's just exactly
2: but also people need to know this is group chat come to life as well so this is not a (laughs) one-off this is like the the deep dark trenches of mls talk now born out for the world to see so this should be fun
0: i was just gonna say that uh you know, managing expectations is a great name. And I actually, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of credit for that being the final decision that you made. Cause, uh, I remember you were like asking us on the group chat, like, what should I name this podcast that I'm starting? And I was, I was given like joke suggestions, you know, <laughs> about, like you would obviously never name it. And then you threw managing expectations out there and people were like, I don't know. Like, are you, are people really going to get the reference? And, and I was like, no, that's fire. You should use it. And then you did. So, uh, that's my other contribution to this so far.
1: Let, let the record show that my friend, Kenny Freeman, who suggested that name, that was also a joke suggestion that I took seriously. So that's how it started. I think he was making fun of me. And uh, now it's a name. And now he's upset that there have been no royalties. Um, and so that's that's where that is.
2: Well, you just got to wait for the first sponsor. And then, you know, from there, he's, he's, <laughs> he, he's just going to have the Venmo uh, start start rolling through.
1: I'm angling for dude wipes. Dude, dude, dude wipes are bust. Um, all right. So yeah, I know that uh, everybody. There's a lot of good podcasts out there, and they're obviously the biggest story around MLS, American soccer. All of that is World Cup qualifying, specifically the United States, Canada, and Mexico. That is again the biggest story, but there are plenty of really good preview podcasts that I would, I'm sure that everybody has listened to or should seek out before this game against Mexico and the United States on Thursday night. Um, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that after the games wrap up next week and, and heading out of qualifying, hopefully, positive news from the United States. But again, uh, there's enough great content there that I don't think we need another U.S. national team preview worry podcast. So I figured with MLS mostly hitting an international break, I think there's what, two or three games this, this weekend uh, for whatever reason, less than there used to be international <laughs> breaks, which is nice. Feels like a sign of growth. Um, I figured this is a good time to just check in on a number of like big picture macro stories. Uh, that are kind of starting to emerge from the league. You know, four weeks in, it's still a small-ish sample size, but I think that we're starting to see some of the teams that are pretty decent. We're starting to see teams that are are legitimately in trouble already, despite there being 30 games up. And quick caveats in that last year, Minnesota United lost their first four games, still made the playoffs pretty comfortably, and probably should have even finished a little higher. So um, your season isn't made or broken in four weeks, but I think that there are enough takeaways to be had. So with that, I think just the first one I'll roll with. Uh, I think the Chicago Fire are for real.
2: When you say for real, how real is the question that comes to mind for me. Do you mean like real as in like we're actually fighting for the playoffs again? Or is it real as in like, okay, we're, I don't know, a little bit more uh, on, on steady ground than we have been for, what is it, like one playoff appearance in nine years here or something like that?
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's a it, they haven't won a playoff game in twelve playoff series rather in twelve years, um, and I think they've only made the playoffs twice. That was the one Dax McCarty and uh, Nemanja Nikolic here um, in in recent memory. But I had them to make the playoffs, so I, I knew that they were or figured they were going to be competitive. I didn't know it, um, but I think that this this isn't like smoke and mirrors. This isn't like we were talking about with Austin when they played Miami and Cincy and, and looked really great in the first two weeks. These I think were. Some decent wins, and I think that you know they're they're going to be firmly in the playoff mix. I, again, I I thought in the in preseason that they were going to kind of get in with one of those last spots, but I think that this team is showing that, that they have more, and it's not just like a Shakiri masterclass, or it's not just Casper Shiboko catching fire, or or anything else. Like I think that the the tactical foundation that Ezra Hendrickson has put in the defensive solidity first and foremost is what is kind of keeping this team grounded. And even when games were like, I think shakiri has been fine, but he hasn't been setting the league on fire. shiboko has been okay. He just scored his first goals last weekend. Like, I think that this team is like legitimately solid, which is not something that you could say about the fire. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: don't think, I don't think that's a bad take, Tom. I mean, you kind of hit on it, but I think you have to look at how they're defending. I mean, they've only given up one goal through the first four games. And when you think about the Chicago fire of the last few years, um, it's kind of been a mess at times on that side of the ball, and that's extremely ext- yeah. That's, <laughs> that's 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 being kind. That's being kind Yeah, I mean, so when they signed Shakiri, I, I, my first reaction was like, "It's a great signing, it's a cool signing," but like, I don't know how much it really um, changes mm-hmm. their outlook from the standpoint of if they're still going to be shipping goals all the time in ridiculous fashion, like they have been the last few years, like. That they have to fix that, you know, the foundation and the defending, um, for that, for the signings on the attacking side to to matter and move the needle for them. But like, if you look at how they've played so far, they've done they've done very well. They were keeping clean sheets, only conceded the one time, um, and that that kind of allows you to become a team that yeah. can grind out the results that you need to in MLS more. Um, so I, it's definitely like. It seems like they actually finally have a good thing going, um, and I, I, Ezra Hendrickson's a good coach. I can tell you that. Yeah, he was the uh, he was the coach for uh, Sounders two out here in Seattle for a while um, a few years ago. He's been an assistant in the league for a long time, and I remember when he was here, like all the young players really liked him and gravitated towards him, and he's a, he's a really good. Uh, mind he understands the league he understands how to win in the league so uh, that's looking like a great hire like it looks like they have someone who actually uh, can come in and knows how to get results in this league and knows like everything that that takes and you know we're gonna have to caveat every take with it, its early small sample size but like I think it's totally fair if you're a fire fan to look at it and be like all right I'm actually legitimately encouraged with the results that we've taken, and also, like, how we've gone about getting those results, which is, like you said, based around, like, s- solid defending, and it's it's not just, you know, Shakiri going crazy every time.
1: Yeah, to, uh, to, to cut in real quick, sorry, Siegel, that um, for those playing along at home, um, I would have had the under on first Seattle Sounders reference from Hari. Oh, boy. I think I would have said... an no, that's an easy one, though.
0: That's an easy one.
1: I forgot about Ezra's uh, connection to to the saddle. Um, And and one more thing, single before you go, is that I think what's most encouraging for Chicago is the idea of when you have a new coach, things are supposed to build and get better. You're not supposed to kind of sprint out of the gate. You look at kind of some of the other new coaches around the league. Um, You know, some have have come out pretty quickly too, but – the playing principle is that all takes time and it all takes, you know, more reps and more games. So I think it's encouraging that they're picking up the points that they have and they have the defensive solidity that they have. And also this team is going to get better. Jairo Torres joins on May 1st. Um, he's, I don't, I don't know enough about him, but I can tell you that there have been numerous occasions where uh, Jernan Shakiri has played in either one of the wingers, but um, more so Stanislav uh, St- Ivanov. And it feels like there are goals on the table. If somebody, they spent $6 million on Jairo Torres, you, you pay that guy to score goals. So I think that that's an easy upgrade. And two, I think Ezra's going to figure out to play um, Mauricio Pineda next to Federico Navarro instead of Gaston Jimenez in central midfield. And I think that's going to make them even more difficult to play through. And I just think better all around because I Gaston Jimenez is fine on the ball, but... I don't know if I've put up a clip before. His, his uh his ground covering isn't particularly high at this point. And I'm a big fan
2: of Federico. It's DeForest. a very sanitized way of saying that, to be kind. Um, but the one thing that I'm curious <laughs> about with Chicago is, like, cool. Early progress. Like, team looks better. Uh, Shaq hasn't lit the league on fire yet. Uh, Jairo Torres comes in. Casper's still getting caught up to speed. How long is Gaga with this team, though? For me, that's the question. And, like, he hasn't really kind of come in and had to make, oh, my God. Like, he just saved us the game saves. He's had a couple of really good matches and the kids obviously lights out talented, but like, he's going to be one of the next big guys. So for me, I think right. back to like the conversation with Turner's transfer and it was, Oh my God, how are the Reds going to replace Turner? I wonder if there's going to be a situation that involves with Slanina come this summer, or maybe it's next winter. I don't know. I'm not as familiar with these conversations as you are, Tom, of course, but like that's a big conversation that I think surrounds the fire is how long are we going to see this kid in MLS and what happens potentially if he does leave? And is that an opportunity for what I think his name's Chris Brady, an, another homegrown kid who's super yes. talented? Yes. Like, Did they just then filter it through? And is this just the MLS world that we know now? Like, cool, you sell one on and there's another kid waiting there <laughs> to go fill the, the, fill the lines? Like, For me, that's a really, I don't know, an interesting topic, a big question. And it's just crazy to me to think about like, that that conversation can even happen with the fire, considering the lows that they were in for so long mm. as well, too. So I don't know. That's just another big kind of picture thought that I've with the club.
1: So, yeah. So with Selena, from what I know, obviously this is all fluid, and if you know a huge offer comes in tomorrow, you know if they can't deny it, they won't. But I'd be pretty surprised if there isn't something that's agreed that has a loan back for at least the rest of the season. I know when there were talks from there were some Premier League clubs interested. Like the idea was that there might be a bid that was coming in around deadline day in January. I was stress pretty heavily that i'd you know be shocked if something if if something's agreed that it didn't include a loan back for the rest of the season so for me i think that there's going to be real offers in the summer and i think just given the market for this kid with all the teams that are interested and already where his kind of valuation is i like i wouldn't be surprised at all i'd probably go as far as say my expectation is that there's going to be you know an acceptable offer this summer and i would again assume that it would include a loan back for the rest of the season because. If you're buying Gaga Sonina, so you know some of these big, big clubs, like he's not gonna like I don't know what the Premier League teams are that have been interested, but let's call it I don't know, Newcastle. He's not gonna go start for Newcastle at eighteen years old. So what would they get out of him not playing every just let him finish the season, let him come in, in the winter, and then decide probably another loan for well, you know, whatever club this is, because as great as we all think he is, and I think that he can start at a lot of places in Europe, the level of teams that are interested in him are probably too early for him to be starting or, or too early for the plan to him be starting. So he'd probably be getting loaned out anyway. So why not stay in Chicago and the contingency? Yes. is Chris Brady. He, they have rejected a bid from, I believe it was club Bruges, a Belgian team as first reported by um Jeff Carlisle at ESPN. The goalkeepers at this Academy has been, been um, producing over the last few years. Obviously Gago Sanina is the best goalkeeping prospect on the planet. Uh, he's going to set new records or be secondary to John, uh, Gigi Buffon in terms of a goalkeeper being sold before they're uh, before they turn 20, 20 years old and then there's Chris Brady who already had a bid rejected by a club bruise and then there's Damian Loss who is another US youth international who went to Fulham he's back in MOS now uh, I believe in Austin but those are three like high level prospects and Damian Loss was supposed to be the goalkeeper of the future for the United States and he was like this really big star at the youth international level so it's pretty wild to see all these goalkeepers kind of produced by the same account. One other
2: question about Slonina, though. I think what was Turner went for what seven million was it, if I remember correctly, or thereabouts? Yeah, and
1: and the the, the, the Revs could have gotten more if they
2: sure, sure. So like, like if ow. if Turner goes at seven and is established, and that's an arsenal that comes calling. I know I'm putting you on the spot here on your own podcast. So Slonina's so more. More. So like, more like how how much more? Easily. What is it? are we, are we talking Easily. like Easily. like twelve, fifteen, Easily. give or take, or?
1: It's got to be double, um, eight figures. I'm, let me make sure I got my math right. At least $10 million is, is what I'm trying to convey. Like, Turner is 27, and he's a fantastic goalkeeper, U.S. International. But, again, like, Gago Sonina is regarded as the best goalkeeping prospect kind of on the planet right now in, in his teenage years in terms of, you know, not many goalkeepers at his age are playing regardless, let alone showing the kind of potential he is in a top-flight division. So, I don't know. This kid, Poland loves him too. The national team. He's already been with the US uh, national team in qualifying. He wasn't on this roster. Um, I think like this is like it can't miss Ricardo Pepe, Kevin Perez, uh, maybe Alfonso Davis is unfair to anybody to compare, but he they're in that kind of level of prospect.
2: The last thing I'll offer He's on Selena, kind of or just real real quick, one last one from me on Selena would be we've seen yeah. Pepe go and push what is it gonna reach 20 million potentially, give or take? I know there's been different exact yeah. figures yeah. floated yeah. in the in the reporter figure from Augsburg. That'd be wild. If a seventeen-year-old goalkeeper comes in and potentially threatens or pushes past that record for Pepe with a homegrown so outgoing transfer, for me that would just be insane. Like that would be crazy.
1: That's the thing. I don't think it would ju- just because of the tax that comes for a center forward rather than a goalkeeper. All of the highest fees in the world. Like the of the course, of course, goalkeeper. Yeah. I think was sixty-five million or whatever. It's a, it's a huge money just in general. But you know, then the most expensive forwards are upwards of one hundred and fifty million or whatever it is. So I, I would be shocked, I guess, if if it got to there, but. He is regarded as, you know, one of the biggest talents in the world, not just MLS.
0: Yeah, I mean, it kind of speaks to how much the conversation surrounding the fire has changed. Because, I mean, we're talking about kind of a win-win situation here, where if you, you like, when they sell Gaga for a boatload of cash, Mm. and that's all money that they can use to strengthen a roster that's already improving. And then, you know, if you don't sell him this season or you want to wait, I mean, then you have uh, one of the most... That one of the highest upside young goalkeepers in the world, like starting for you um, and angering you through your MLS season. So, I mean, that's good stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good segue too, to, to uh, maybe this isn't a great one for the early season takeaways, because it's not necessarily team focused or, or big time player focused, but I think that lends to a, a quick talk about where I could, I think the 22 under 22 outlook is um, I was kind of trying to get my own list like ready so I could move it and, not just sit down and look at this when we're voting for 2222. Um, I think that there are a lot of top end options this year. I think it's it's really strong. Uh, for me, that there's like a clear top tier of, I believe, like seven players. Uh, for me, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, if you disagree, if there's anybody. I think it's it the top tier is Gabriel Sanina, Tyus Magno, Jesus Ferreira, Julian Araujo, Keo Marshall Ruddy, Cade Cowell, and Mamadou Fall. I think that those seven all have the combination of first team production and maybe not quite with Jaquil Ray at the moment, but I think that's coming. He's already started whatever, three or four games for Toronto um, a- as well as this like incredible high level upside in terms of, you know, eight figure transfer I think
0: that's, I think that's a good list. Um, you have, and then in the second tier, right? Sorry, I'm just looking at the. <laughs>
2: rundown.
0: Yeah, no, that that's a good list. Uh, I think. You know, Ferreira certainly looks like he could be another FC Dallas guy going for that top spot. I mean, the Hattie against the Timbers, eight goals, nine assists last year, I think. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a big one. But like he might not end up being the best candidate on his own team, you know, with with Alan Velasco. Yeah. I mean, that guy, like it's hard to know what to make of like the 19-year-old prospects when they come in from outside the league like that. Um, he was really highly touted. But then he, come, he comes in, and that debut goal he scored against Nashville was just insane. I mean, he gets the ball at midfield and just straight shot all the way into the opposing area through four or five defenders. And, like, this is not some – team in Nashville that like is always shipping goals. You know, they're one of the best defensive teams in MLS and he got right on the field and just burned all of them. And then not, not just the run, but the way he finished that goal, you know, like charging full speed, all his momentum going towards the end line and just like perfect placement and weight on it all to the far post. I mean, that was, that was probably the best individual play of like, that a player has made through four weeks, wouldn't you say? So, I mean, if that if that's as big of a hit as it looks like, it could be. Like, Dallas is looking pretty nice, especially with uh, uh, Ariola also in there. Mm. Uh, that that could be a very potent trio in
2: there. Well, all right, I'm just shocked you didn't use that opportunity to stump for Leo Chu as the next top spot <laughs> in a 2,222
0: list well yeah i mean yeah leo chu number one that goes without saying obviously. okay no
2: definitely but what what i was gonna say is like the one guy you routed off there tom uh when you said a few names Cape cowell it's the one that's just i have such a huge question mark over and i know there's so many kind of just say not so great times right now with the earthquakes and and we'll maybe talk later a little about like matias almeida and just kind of what's going on with that club and tactics and formation and what what on earth they're trying to accomplish but like I know people are so high on this kid and I am too from a physical standpoint. It just seems like there's something missing and I don't know if my analysis wrong, is wrong here but like I don't know what this kid's position is and that's what confuses me is like where does he project at the next level? Because the raw skills are there, the, the, the talent is there but I'm like a Winger is in like go play a box standard four three three and go run up the, the flank all day or is it like I don't know I'm just, I, I just I'm confused by it I guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: I think yes. it's a situation where yes. you have, like, incredible raw physical gifts and talent that just hasn't, like, been, you know, the technical aspect of the game and his finishing and stuff. That's all stuff that he's still refining. But, I mean, the raw talent with Cade Cowell is is pretty ridiculous. I mean, when you watch him just run, and then some of the passes he can hit, too, he's pretty well-rounded in that way. I think he's just got to... You know, the his game, but I, I'm still pretty high on K Cowell. I would say another big one on this list for me is Mamadou Fall. I mean, mm-hmm. the way he's been playing for LAFC, um, he's been scoring goals for them. And but I think just coming in to MLS at at 19, I think he's 19. Yeah, he's right? 19. And yeah, and being a starting center back for like an upper tier Western Conference team, like that's pretty impressive. And he he's only going to get better too. So. Looking at this list, that, that's that's one that stands out to me too. Outside of maybe the more obvious one, ones
2: other are. comment that I was going to yeah. offer real quick too about just this list overall, and I'll say this: is the person who was charged last year with coming up with who's eligible and managing the project overall, and a lot of time and bandwidth put into this. Um, one of the one of the weird dynamics was last year. Okay, it was the first year with the U twenty two initiative, and no one really best knew how to gauge where those guys stacked in. Meaning um, a Santiago Moreno when he signed mid season, a yeah. Leo Chu fill in the blank with all these different guys and like i think that's the part of this conversation we talk about youth development and kind of selling guys on that hasn't really come into full full bloom yet in mls um so that's the thing that i'm kind of most watching outside of the homegrown lens where i think it was something like six out of the top 10 have already been transferred or loaned out from last year which is insane um and great it was like pepe dk sands bassett um i don't think paredes was top 10 but he was nearby like you go down the list with all those guys but now I'm like okay cool all these high-priced players where we see last year remember last last fall last Mm -hmm. summer it's like okay these front offices are putting serious money into this guy surely he's not bad like we want to give them the benefit of the doubt and now we're seeing it with like a Federico Navarro is another name that comes to mind in this U22 mold so like I don't know that's just a different kind of element to this conversation that I'm super intrigued by and like I think we're really just starting to see the early days of what that means for youth development when we talk about MLS and how it all fits, fits together big picture.
1: Agreed. Um, and I won't spend too long on this because, I mean, stage kind of <laughs> dove into U22 initiative last week. Not, um, I think we've, we've, done, we've done plenty. But yeah, I think that, it, it. I mean, for me, when I'm voting, I know everybody, this is supposed to be ambiguous and you're supposed to lean into whatever you think is most important. And that's like kind of the beauty of this list. But for me, it, it is a combination of first-team production plus that potential. Like, I'm not just doing, like, hey, these are the 22 kids that I think if they all hit their ceiling, these are the, the best 22. So there there were a number of U22 initiative guys who didn't really hit the ground running in MLS. Um, D- Diver Casado from Vancouver was on it. I believe he was, like, 20 or 20. Some, somewhere near the bottom, but he was on it. I'm not sure if he was the only U22 initiative player last year, but this well, that was the, only the first year. This is going to keep growing, and they are going to be better signings. And, and um, let's see. I guess well, Julian Araujo was on it last year, and he was signed with the contract extension of U twenty two initiative. So I think that that's going to continue to be the balance, and that's most useful super useful because Kate Cowell has already signed U twenty two initiative extension. Like that's going to be really great for keeping some of these young players in the league and making sure they're getting paid and paid well, and that there is no like not always a rush to get out of here to get that contract because there is a bit of a little bit more flexibility and financial might with teams in you know the, that second contract off a of homegrown uh, but one more kind of on kcal it's easy to forget and, uh, like he feels like he's been around forever and he looks like a grown man he's 18 years old and he's he doesn't turn 19 until the end of the season like this is his age 18 season and he's already shown a lot of promise and a lot of progress i think that i fell into this trap a little bit with jesus ferreira two years ago is when he had a down year i was just kind of like all right like this is like he's going to be a fine mls player but that you know it's whatever and then because it, it felt like he was 23, because he had been in the Dallas first team for so long. So even before his before his 22nd birthday, he's going to have his his promising year, his breakout year, a slow year, and then another leveling up all over these like last three or four years. Like it's easy to forget how young some of these guys are, and like really, I guess how high quality and how quickly that they've gotten where they are. And that's another good transition for with Jesus Ferreira. Like after that hat trick, and it, remind yourself, he is a U.S. national team number nine. He's we need to look at him in, in the kind of the peppy category. I do know that in the offseason, if they desperately wanted to sell him, which they obviously didn't because they gave him a young DP contract extension, the market would have been like four to 6 million, something like that. I know that there are a bunch of teams, say Netherlands, Belgium, and like a lot of good teams have him on their radar. Um, if he takes his next step up, like he's starting to show, if, if he continues this development with Dallas, like that transfer fee is going to go into, you know, 10 million plus, and there are going to be teams that continue to watch him. So I think that Jesus Ferreira for what he's doing so far I, I think that I slept on him a little bit as under uh, 2,222 favorite just because, I don't know, it wasn't, I guess, a sexy name. It wasn't the new name. It wasn't like Gaga or, or Jaquil march Ruddy or or, or Mamadou Fall or Thomas Magno where they're like the newer guys. Like, forever has been around forever, but you have to kind of take a step back and say, oh, yeah, this kid's one of the, you know, three to five best national team forwards. Like, he's somebody that's starting World Cup qualifiers and is maybe not 100% his best role in position as like a – you know, a, a true number nine in a four three three. Like, I still think his best position is like, as, like, a second forward. So, these are all things to consider when it comes to Ferreira and Dallas.
2: Let the record state that Tom Bogart has said that Jesus Ferreira is going to drop a Hattie on Mexico on Thursday night. <laughs> just to let everyone know that. But, no, the one other the thing, too, I'm, I'm so excited to see when this eventually does come out in the fall, uh, with the 22-22 list. How angry David Ochoa is about his spot and where he lands and why he says he should be number one. And I say that with so much respect because I love how this kid weaves into the villain game. And that was an amazing storyline. But we all know when it comes out, he's going to be like saying like, F the haters, I should be number one. It's going to be incredible.
0: And you know, by extension, that's like two to three weeks of content for us. So <laughs> we win from that perspective. Exactly.
2: Ari knows the big picture. The big picture. one other topic I know we I wanted to get to. Uh, yeah, exactly. One other thing, and I'll toss it your way, Tom. You're the biggest Philadelphia Union fan on this podcast, <laughs> and I don't mean literal fan. But, I mean, in terms of, like, years, man, you man. have been, dude. You've you've been on this hype train for a little bit. So, like, what's your take, I guess, on just how Philly's starting? Because, like, they're number one in power rankings this week. I think it's deserved. Um, I don't envision them slipping a ton outside of, like, the top five or six in that conversation. Like, they're a dark horse, like... Well, I say dark horse because I feel like no one's. Well, well they're, they're, they're dark horse in the sense that like no one really, I think, is talking about it enough. Like, they're really freaking good. <laughs> and they have been for a long time. And, like, they're not the big name. They're not the sexy name. But, like, Jim Curtin does an amazing job with this team. And, like, I just wish that more people had enough respect and talk about, like, holy crap, this union club is, like, consistently on an upward trend and really freaking good. I
0: think they're, they're starting it, to get, they've, they've been getting talked about in that way uh more in in the last like couple years i mean it's you know when i look at the union it's one of the best run organizations in the league without a doubt um from you know everything like you can just tell like their talent evaluation and their scouting is pretty lights out uh it seems like every signing they make like even if they're not breaking the bank on it it's the right signing it's the right fit tactically like personality wise they're clearly very proficient at all that and then i think the other obvious thing with them is, is the youth development um they've really become one of the best teams at that i mean you look at the Aronson brothers and they uh, have gotten most of the attention rightfully. So because Brendan Aronson is really, really, really good. And Paxton looks like he has just as much upside, if not potentially more, but like you can go down like a whole long list of these kids that they're turning out. uh, Like like Quinn Sullivan, right. Is in there. Mm -hmm. There's a couple more. Um, Nathan Harrell. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Craig. So, uh, that they're the, the model that they use is, like, a really good blueprint for how to succeed in this league in terms of how they evaluate talent, the players that they bring in, and how they how they develop their homegrowns. And it's, it's not really a surprise that they've uh, managed this success. And I do think that uh, they're, they've, they've started to get the credit for it. Like, they got the credit for it when they won the Shield. Yep. And it was like, okay, this team has really arrived. I just think the last thing for them is they have to compete for and hopefully win an MLS cup. And once they do that, then they're really going to be proven in that upper tier where right now they're just, they're kind of still right on the fringe just because they haven't like summited the biggest accomplishment Mm -hmm. yet, which would be winning the cup.
1: Yeah. That's not unfair. And like Jim Curtin talks about that often where he says like, yeah, you know, we won the sports show, but you know, the the trophy that we're going for, like the, the next step, the next evolution is MLS cup. And that's what we need to do. The playoff run, that's what he was talking about, this during the CCL run last year, too. It's all that, that they understand that they're steps. But he, again, to put it on, on Jim Curtin, like, he said it well. He's, he said it well all off season and, and even last season. Like, hey, like, we're not sneaking up on anybody anymore. Like, maybe, maybe we don't always get the, I guess, respect we deserve. But, like, I think people know and, and like, see us as a real threat, as a real team. Like, I, I thought that they have a lot of good qualities that lend to supporters' shield. Chase, like, their style of play works really well in a Sporter Shield rather than – and, like, the collective the collective over the individual is a more conducive to Sporter Shield than it is a playoff run. You just look back at, like, the you go back to every MLS Cup team and all these stars, like Lucas Alarion with um, Columbus in that year. Um, I'm kind of already playing. I lost tra- tra- train of thought there. But, yeah, like, they, they're a really well set up in the uh, Sporter Shield run. They have, you know, best 11 talent at goalkeeper, both center back slots left back, defensive mid, they just added two DP forwards. They've gotten nothing from Mikhail Urich so far with the visa issues and then a little bit of an injury. And I'm just generally give the benefit of the doubt whenever they make a signing. Like It was funny, around the expansion draft, they left Stuart Finley unprotected because they had so many people that they had to protect. I was campaigning for Charlotte to select him without really watching him play more than a handful of times because I was like if, if I'm another team, I look at just all the signings that Philadelphia have made for cheap, and they've kind of out outlasted their value. You go to Jose Martinez, Kasper Chabilko, Kai Wagner, insert all these guys, and you'd be like, okay, like I assume that they did it again with Jacob Glessis, Jack Elliott. I assume they did it again with Stuart Finley. Like, I was ready to recommend a signing just because they signed him, just because they liked him. Like, I think that that's like, the reputation right now. Um, Jim Curtin is obviously a, a Coach of the Year candidate type. Like They have all these important cogs when it comes to a sports show run, and I do think that if Mikhail Hur is what they think he is, if Julian Carranza is what they think he is, and he's he's looking like a really nice fit so far, obviously they're going to need goals from him. But if these players are what they think they are, and Daniel Gazdag is another a guy that I was pretty high on, and he's coming out on fire to start the season, this is a team that is not only going to challenge for the Shield, but they will be looked at and should be looked at as an MLS Cup favorite.
2: Two last quick hits on the Union. Ale Badoya, Ageless Wonder, no questions asked. It's going to keep on going for years. I have no doubt he will go until his legs fall off. Jack Elliott, most underrated center back in MLS. No questions asked. I will go to war on that yeah. argument. I, that I, is I a hill like I'm him. willing to die on. He's Why the, is the he's most doing? underrated center back in MLS. And Oliver Bedoya, like I said, taught not to be too repetitive. Like, he's, what is he, 35 now? He looks like he's playing yeah. like he's 27, 28. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's insane. And granted... He has a couple players next to him, Leon Flock, Jose Martinez, who do a lot of running. But it's not oh, like so he's – that's what I was going to say. It's not like he's just posting up at the center circle being like, guys, pass me the ball and make runs I'm, off me. I'm like, pretty
1: sure Bedoya covers more ground than them so far this season. Like Jim Curtin talked about this a little bit in presence that like, Bedoya still lead them in all these like ground covering. It's and wild. Like, Dude, measures. that's it's absolutely insane.
2: wild. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. So it's And just,
0: then you have all that, and then Jacob Glesnis can just uncork <laughs> from one from 35 yards yeah. at any time. <laughs> And you can pull a goal out of that. That happens once every like three or four games. So.
2: <laughs> he is just a what is he from Norway? Is it right? Uh, yeah. The 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 Norwegian Hammer or whatever we should call. It. I know we got to come up with some weird nickname. I'm probably going to regret saying that in hindsight after a fact. But it's fun. Um, no, nobody listens. Ex- <laughs> well, geez, I don't have to be that self deprecating. <laughs> but one other team I I, I know he wanted to get to, and I am super high on them. I'm not sure. If it's wor- I don't think it's time yet to worry Nashville. They're legit. There's a lot of questions surrounding Anake Loba and-, and how much does he fit into the situation, but clearly there's a lot of good things going there. So, Tom, why don't you start it off and just kind of Nashville and your perspective on what is, of course, an eight-game road trip yep. to start the year before. Is it giottis Park? Am I pronouncing that right? I'm probably butchering their their new sponsor's name for their stadium. But like, they're going to come home may 1st. It's going to be an awesome game. I think it's against the Philadelphia Union. And like I just want to think that okay, Hani Mukhtar, Gary Smith, Walker Zimmerman, all these guys like there's a good thing going here, right?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't be worried about Nashville. I like Doyle's written this multiple times and and I'm equally as as confused. I don't understand a team with so many Aerially dominant players and a team with such good kind of structure, foundation, and everything else tactically that lead, leads them to be one of the, the, the best defensive teams in the league, which is really difficult to do in general, but even more impossible as, like, coming in as an expansion team. I don't understand how they concede so many set pieces. So that's still a slightly worry, but I, I'm not worried about them in general. I am about Ake Loba. I'm officially worried about Ake Loba. I was giving him benefit of the doubt all of last season – He just hasn't gotten the trust of Gary Smith. And and there's, for some reason, Smith, he's like allergic to playing Hani Mukhtar and Ake Loba together. Or if they do play together, it has to be with CJ Sabong or Teal Bunbury as like a more traditional center forward. So then there's no room for Randall Leal. I just don't understand like what's going on there. I don't know what he looks like in training. I, I don't know if it's just the coaching staff doesn't necessarily love him. But this was a $7 million player, somebody who scored a bunch of goals in mexico he was playing more for monterey than he was um than he is nashville right now in terms of minutes i believe like he definitely hasn't gotten many starts with natural it's just really mind-boggling to me and i keep i kept saying all, all offseason that like yeah like it's gonna be fine maybe it took a little longer than you'd expect for him to kind of find his feet but with like the with the back the backspin of like yonder cadiz as well he was more i guess in the like gary Smith target center forward mold But he didn't really find his feet in Nashville, and they didn't pick up his purchase option. And now the next kind of big DP that they brought in was Loba And there should be signs of worries that, like, if he is as – again, he lives up to that price tag. It takes their ceiling up, like, up. Like, that. it's a team that's already really, really good and already has a really high floor. But it gives them kind of another level the same way that Hani Mukhtar leveling up last year really gave them this other level. So if they had another player like that or or somebody else that – Again, just they paid seven million for this guy and not for no reason. Like there was a market for him. Like Monterey paid, I think, nine to get him from the Peruvian club that he came from. So that's one where I'm worried, but, but the team in general, I think that they're gonna be fine no matter what.
2: The only it's other just- thing I'll add on that of the only reason if I was a Nashville fan, if I'm worried, is like you said, they got the Cadiz signing, probably not right. The Ake Lobo one looks to be a very expensive bench player right now. And we're not there at training every day. We're not there drawing up the team sheet. But like, there's, a fair, there's some fair questions to be asked about could he fit more, could he not, what, what's going on here. They have an open DP spot, and as much respect as I have for Mike Jacobs and think he's an incredible GM and has done such a great job with constructing that team, especially with intra-league moves, I'm a little bit worried perhaps on what does that DP end up looking like And is he set up for success when he comes into Gary Smith's system? I don't know the question for that. I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's a fair question to raise considering that a couple of these foreign players they've brought in on big DP deals, it hasn't exactly panned out as envisioned. So I don't know exactly. I know I'm maybe tossing a little bit of sour grapes in there or something like that, but I'm like, okay, I'm just a little bit curious as to how could that go if they plan on pursuing that route.
0: Yeah, I think you guys summed it up pretty well but just the one the, the one concern with nashville right now is like do do they have enough in attack to like raise their ceiling and aki loba obviously would be a big part of that but um the only thing is you know it it's kind of feels like Hany Mukhtar or or bust for them um he has to kind of carry everything and last year that worked because he had an mvp caliber season and he's one of the most talented players in the league but you're, you're going to need more production around him to become like a true true contender um but i mean i'm still really high personally on everything that nashville is doing because i think they they did the expansion launch 100 percent the right way by building the foundation building the spine building a uh, really solid defense anchored by walker zimmerman a perennial defender of the year type of guy um so that gives you like a very solid floor um i I just think the next challenge for them is like how do how do you prove that you can ascend into that next year um and yeah i mean sigo what you said is exactly right like it's it's kind of all about how they, I, they, they, they either have to get Aki Loba playing and producing or sign somebody right it's Like I mean that's kind that's kind of how I, how Re- I see it. Real quick, uh, Nashville
1: color commentator, fantastic broadcaster Jamie Watson texted in to say G-O-dis, G-O-dis, G-O-dis Park. <laughs> Geodis Park. Geodis, <laughs> there we
2: go. Okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to listen to that back a few times <laughs> so I get it right because when it came out, I was like, oh well, I'll just say it but without adding even pronunciation, that stadium is beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. I can't wait yeah, to go visit 30,000 people at a soccer specific stadium in Nashville. Like, sign me up. That sounds amazing. Guys, can MLS Media please pay to send me there every weekend? <laughs> like, what, who do I have to call? What sort of favors do I have to phone in for that? I just, I don't know. I just, as you can tell, I'm like, I need to go there. So. Yeah,
0: that's, <laughs> um, on my list, that's on my list, 100%.
1: Yeah, it looks good. Just looking forward to checking it out. Um, Ari, are you ready for your three-hour Seattle Sounder segment?
0: Oh, are we doing that?
1: Three hours. Take it away. What, what,
0: what, three what hours, are boys.
2: I, I don't. I don't have three hours, boys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, no. I don't have. I don't have three hours. It takes. It's. It's an. It's an exciting time of the season uh, with Concacaf Champions League, which Concacaf Champions League is kind of weird because you go right from preseason, right, just kind of ramping up and getting ready to go getting in the swing of it directly into some of your biggest games of the entire season. Like everyone knows that if an MLS team actually could win this, um, like how big a story that would be and how big a uh, historical accomplishment that would be. Uh, No one's won the modern incarnation of it. So, uh, you know, everyone has their own kind of thoughts on, how MLS teams should prioritize it when you're balancing it with the league season. Uh, I kind of tend to think that's situational based on how good of a chance you actually have to win it. And I, when I look at both of the MLS teams that are still in it, Seattle and New York City FC, who are playing in the semifinals, I, I, they both could do it. I'm not saying they, they will. I'm not predicting that they're going to. But like they theoretically are talented enough and deep enough to actually make this the year that there's the big breakthrough in an MLS team win CCL. And so right now for Seattle, I mean, that's what this season is all about is making a run at that. The league season is just about keeping your head above water uh, and making sure that you uh, can make a make a really big run once CCL is over. Um but I, I just it's just an, an exciting time of the season because uh, not only are they in the CCL semifinals, but, like, it, it's a team that has the capability of actually winning. Mm-hmm. I, and I'd I say the same thing about New York City FC. They're both good enough to do it. Yeah.
2: The one Ari, thing, too, that you, comes uh, – or, sorry, Tom, you, you go for it, and then I'll follow up.
0: I was going to say, Ari, what do you think about how Rusnak's fit so far?
2: Well, that's exactly what I was uh, going to ask about. It's so a good,
0: good, good, <laughs> good alignment there. Okay, yeah, no, I'm, I, am i am still really high on the Rosnack signing. I know he hasn't been getting on the score sheet much yet, um, but I think he's, he's playing well. He's combining well. Um, he, he's a really good facilitator. Like, he, there's a lot of clips of him, like you know, hitting the pass before the pass, which I kind of stuff, which I realize <laughs> is not exactly like the sexiest thing, but like it's still, he's still been playing an important role in the attack. And look. He's going to eat eventually. I really think so. I mean, I've been watching this guy for Real Salt Lake for five years. Uh, He had a slow start last year, too, and everyone was like, what's going on with Resnack? Why doesn't he Mm -hmm. have all these numbers He put it together. He ended the season with double-digit goals and assists. Uh, And I really think that there is um, a distinct possibility that playing on this team with all the talent on the roster, like, it could elevate his game in a way, too. Uh, and i and i still think that i know when the signing when the signing first got made uh people were saying that i was overhyping it a little bit i think i had to take where i called him one of the best players in the league you know maybe maybe that was slight hyperbole but like look i still i still think that man like like okay just purely based on talent like Risenak is is been really good for Real Salt Lake for a long time. And it just didn't get talked about because RSL is not like they don't, they're not in mm-hmm. the national conversation as much as some other guys, but like every year they're competing to make the, the playoffs and making the playoffs. And like last year they made a run in the playoffs. Everyone's always like, how did this happen? Well, I mean, they hit on two really good DPs on Rusnak and Krylak. And that's a pretty good start. And uh like, you know, I, I, I just think that the, the talent level is very, very high. And he'll, he'll integrate into Seattle and get going eventually, I, I still think.
1: Speaking of RSL, um, I think that's a good – like you said, how, how are they doing this? That's how I feel pretty strongly about them right now. And so I just wanted to take this moment to say shout-out to Real Salt Lake for what they've done to start the season so far with a roster that's pretty clearly incomplete given new ownership took over in the beginning of January. So like well into the off season and they will spend money. There are big targets. They've been linked with a number of players, but I don't know they signed what, like two senior players in Sergio Cordova and Johan Kapelhoff. Not exactly, you know, huge, huge signings. And and again, they have multiple DP spots open. They have three U22 initiative spots open. I'd imagine that this ownership is going to invest decently or at least more than they had been when they've been in kind of ownership purgatory. So just, Shout out RSL. Um, I doubted them. A lot of people doubted them. I put, you know, Justin Merrim um, made his jokes about the air-quote experts, and, and we know nothing. And Clearly, after four games, this start of the season they've had is really impressive. Uh, Tom, you
2: got to put some respect on Scott Caldwell's name, first of all, with senior signings. Okay, three. Scott, three? Okay, there we go. And that's not that's not even a sarcastic comment. Scotty is a okay. New England soccer legend. So you guys know my revolution, Ruth, with covering that team. Scotty's a fantastic guy. He's actually stepped into that lineup and done a pretty good job. The other one, shout out Tate Smith. I had no idea who this kid was really before this year. And he's put up game winners in back-to-back games. He has Tater Tot as his nickname, which is amazing.
1: fantastic, And
2: it's an elite nickname. And I just got to say, like, I am not doubting them. The only asterisk is it did not play a full-strength New England. It did not play a full-strength Seattle. And they got wins in both those games. The New England one, of course, was literally played on an ice rink at Gillette Stadium and the Seattle one was a mid CCL. So I'm there with you and feeling like okay they deserve their due but at the same time let's wait a little bit but then again it's kind yeah. of th- it's it's also throttled by like what you said of okay new ownership hasn't really made those big signings yet. So the, the the thought process logically is okay if these bigger names higher price international experience fill in whatever kind of label you want come into this really strong foundation Astrones built. Where does it go from there? And that's what I think RSL fans have a right to be excited about because clearly the mixture that they have, even amid injuries and homegrowns and guys who are maybe not the most desired elsewhere around the league, they come together as a collective. I know I'm going full right now, Pablo Ascherini, human spirit beating talent, but like there's something to it, man. There is. And we're just going to, and and they're going to continue to make us look like idiots. And I'm very happy that they continue to make us look dumb.
0: I was just going to say a Pablo masterone press conference is one of my favorite things in the <laughs> league. You know? This guy goes, he'll, he'll take a question, like a basic question about the game, and we'll make it like a deep seminar on the greater meaning of human existence and how soccer fits into it. You know, like I, I love it. Like every genuine. time that's I'm not, on a Pablo presser, I'm, I'm locked in. <laughs> It it is it is
2: a um, yeah, whirlwind and, and, experience, but like if it's it, yeah, it's incredible. Watch watch those video clips if anyone on this who's listening to this ever gets the chance. Just you will you will be entertained.
1: And just one more kind of level of credit um in RSL is Demir Crylock. Everything that he's done, obviously on the field. Um he's done everything to that level off the field. He's been uh just a phenomenal person, leader, uh teammate, everything. Like he's literally everything you could ever ask for in a signing. Um, and maybe again because as you said already they're, they're not necessarily always in the national conscience like he's probably hasn't gotten enough credit um what he's doing he's got he bought season tickets for 100 kids like he's, he's also hurt right now yeah elite, he's, he's, elite. he's also hurt
0: yeah they haven't even had him play. yeah exactly they haven't I'm even saying, had him I'm playing saying, in this for one three games
1: in, in the in the general sense and because again it, i think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk That's about fair, him, yeah. what he's done and, and i'm not even talking about just this season i was looking back at Again, they've been in ownership purgatory for a couple of years. And, like, him and Rusnak, by all accounts, held that kind of team, that locker room together um, with their leadership and obviously they play on the field. Um, and, again, what he, I wanted to highlight the story of him buying 100 season tickets for kids. That, that's really incredible. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool to just watch kind of, uh Real Salt Lake kind of no excuses, just continuing to get points. It's impressive. impressive uh, team that is not getting points and has a lot of excuses, San Jose Earthquakes. I joked after week one or week two – are we sure Matias Almeida isn't tanking? And I think that joke is turning into a half-serious take right now, just with everything. Like, I don't understand why the club and Almeida and the coaching staff didn't divorce in the offseason. I don't know the specifics. They were clearly headed for divorce. All they talked about was one year left on the contract. You know, the uh, front office wouldn't say anything more than he wants to win and he comes in hard, and Almeida wouldn't say anything more than I'm trying to win today or whatever. Like, it was clear that this is not a long-term solution. New sporting director, there's options for Matias Almeida. I'd imagine he's always a link with other jobs. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know if it's as simple as ownership didn't want to pay a buyout and Almeida for, correctly would want the money in his contract paid like every other situation for coaching staff. If they were to get let go, I really don't understand it. Um, the latest quote here is he, uh, Matias Almeida gave an interview to Fox Sports Mexico that he said tomorrow, so today, uh, for those listening on Wednesday, he could terminate his contract with the San Jose Earthquakes and be free. Um, that's an incredible. He's he's done every interview he possibly could to be pessimistic, and like the they're playing the three six one with Jackson Ewell as a center back. And his response to that was, "Jackson will thank me when he, when he turns 31, Um, which I'm, I again, it, it's just bizarre what's coming out of this team. Like I do know, I, I said it last week or two weeks ago. He's on borrowed time. Was the phrase that I heard. I've talked to other people that like, yeah, it's like, this is something to watch on a week by week basis. You know, they have other candidates. Like I know that they. They're fans of of Lucci Gonzalez, uh, assistant with the National team. But if you're Lucci, do you leave the National team before World Cup? You know, assuming they qualify, like, he took that job two months ago or a month and a half ago. I'm sure that he didn't view it as a short-term job. So, there's a lot of moving parts here. Again, I still don't understand why they didn't rip the band-aid off in the offseason and just kind of move forward in a different direction. But here we are. It it is
0: crazy how he just – he keeps, like, openly talking about it. Like – and he keeps using the term – like, there's a certain amount of time until I'm free. I've seen, like, <laughs> two quotes where he says, like, he's not the first coach to be in a situation. It's not it's like good, alright. Like, it is, it, it rarely... is not good. It is not good right now. No, it, it's not. It's not good to be having those quotes floating around there regularly. You know, like, one time, I, I would not maybe not think about it too much, but I, it's happened, like, four times now.
1: Is any time he does, like, a, a non-MLS or a non-club Sponsors yeah. uh, availability. It's like always, like, any, any, like, when he was back in Argentina in the off season, when he talks to kind of, you know, ESPN Mexico or Fox Sports Mexico, with given all of his ties in Mexico, it's like, like you said, it's like, when am I going to be? Free? The one, the <laughs> one comment off on San Jose, and oh. it's not even, and, and I
2: do feel for their fans, um, because I do think they deserve something a little bit better. And I'm a big fan of what Chris uh, Leach, am I pronouncing that correctly? Their GM has, has been doing and bringing in some yes. guys. Um, who are MLS proven I like that direction I think their academy is a little bit under the radar right now um, but I'll, 100%, 100%. I'll I'll cite uh, a line that Sam Jones had in a story at MLSsoccer.com um, paraphrasing basically it was saying soccer does it have to be this hard um, and for me I think I think it sums up the earthquakes right now and I don't even say that in a facetious way I just say it in a way of like I just don't think it needs to be this difficult, uh, whether it's tactically, it's personnel, it's it's just, I don't know, it, it's, it's meant to be fun, it's meant to be clear, it's meant to be beautiful when you have the pieces there. And there are pieces, but it's just everything but that at the moment. Um, so for the fans' sake, most of all, I just hope it can turn around, because uh, it doesn't have to be this way as it is at the moment.
1: All right, so you'll pick us us one more topic. One more
2: topic. I'm going to go early surprise performers. I know we had this outline beforehand because it's going to give me a chance to stump for Brandon Vasquez. And people are going to give me a hard time about this. I know they are.
1: If you say national team, I'm I'm ending this podcast. I am
2: not saying national (laughs) team. I'm not there yet. Pat Noonan, I think, spiked that question so hard when I asked him it over the weekend. And I I can respect it. I'm
0: kind of
2: there. I I can respect it. But there's something here. And I say that through the lens of. When he was at Atlanta, there were some great moments. Last year, on a really, really bad Cincinnati team, he was producing at the end. And that's something that makes me excited, where I'm like, here's a kid who, in spite of a bad situation, is able to make, what's it, make the phrase, make make lemonade out of lemons, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm messing up the cliches, but like... That was something that made me excited. And now I see a little bit more structure with Pat Noonan coming in, the Philadelphia Union way, so to speak, with Albright and all that. I think Lucho Acosta even still is an underrated player in MLS. Um, he's done a great job. I just I think that he is set up to succeed. And there were little breadcrumbs in years past. And now we're seeing it come to fruition. And I think it's also a comment on how we, especially as an American and Canadian soccer fan base, want immediate gratification we expect a kid to burst onto the scene and automatically be a star but we forget sometimes that it doesn't happen like that there's going to be bumps there's going to be zigs and zags along the way and i think potentially Brandon vasquez is one of those examples of a late bloomer and i'm really excited to see where it goes from here but then again it could be three weeks from now and i'm looking like a total idiot because cincinnati could fall on their face but for the moment i'm riding this wave and i am so excited to see where it goes
0: yeah, and I know, I know that the uh, U.S. men's national team is swimming in forward depth. I mean, there's just strikers for days. You, know? <laughs> you, know, you don't know who you're going to start just because you have so many options. But, uh, like, no, I mean, I wouldn't, call, I wouldn't call him in yet. But, like, if, if, his, if Brandon Vasquez's trajectory continues like this and he can kind of help since he gets to relevance, I mean, you, we could be looking at the start of, uh, of something with that. Um, for me, looking at this list that we have, I would highlight two. Um, the first one would be Sebastian Driussi. Uh, I mean, when Austin FC was going crazy the first two weeks, uh, scored ten goals in two games. He he was electric. I mean, I was really impressed watching him play. I could see him doing some like Dark Horse MVP type stuff this year if they keep uh, if they keep playing well and he keeps producing uh, to how he looks like he can this guy could be one of the best players in the league for sure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, early, early season, but like, he looks really, really good. And then uh, the other one would be Ben Bender. I've watched quite a bit of Charlotte so far. Um, number one pick in the super draft, um, but kind of don't know what to expect uh, coming into the season. Is he going to be a starter right away? Is he going to need some time to adapt? And uh, he's been starting and he has one goal and two assists um, and I just really I really like how he plays. He has a really well-rounded game um, where he, he works hard on both sides of the ball. Really, really good passer. Uh, he had a great finish on his goal in their big win, their first win against New England. Like, if Ben Bender comes in and is a above-average to act actively good MLS starter uh, with ostensibly – even more upside like that, that could yeah. be really good for them. And it could make like a big difference for them on the field this season. If he comes in and is a guy like that and he kind of looks like it so far, like I've been really impressed with him.
1: Yeah. Real quick there, the upside they talk about um, it's not groundbreaking to say that Charlotte are obviously very high in him. They picked him first overall when he wasn't the obvious number one pick. Like it, it was at least a debate. I do know that, that folks within that club believe that, that he, he can project to the, to very, to the very top. Like, they said that, you know, they're not necessarily an expectation or whatever, but they believe if he kind of hits his ceiling, he, like, could be in the national team picture. Like, they they, they really believe in his talent and his level. So it's cool to see him getting playing time. And uh, real quick, I'll just add Nathan Harriel. I think he's been really good for the Philadelphia Union. He's won the starting spot over uh, Olivier Mbizo, who I thought was good as a good starter last year. And currently, right now, Nathan Harriel, he can't take him off the field because of how well he's playing. He was really good against NYCFC, man of the match performance. He had a, a fantastic assist. He had a goal line clearance and Talis Magno, one of the, you know, a $9 million signing of Brazil youth international. He, he did nothing that game. So Nathan Harrell has been really good. Raheem Edwards, really great free agent signing so far for the LA galaxy and Frankie Amaya getting to play for the New York red bulls. Like he should have been last year. Uh, didn't play much. Um, he should be playing in this position he is, is kind of deeper in the midfield, where he can just be a little pit bull, win balls, win duels, uh, kind of break lines. I think that that's been really good.
2: I always say you guys are leaving out the best one of all, and Ari. I am shocked you haven't said this. Our boy Obed Vargas up in Seattle, and I, and I, not even in the joking way. Like he's <laughs> uh, been, yeah. he's been legit, and like that's been really fun. Who knows what that ceiling looks like? I mean, but he has been, he has stepped into. I guess I'll add the caveat. When you step into a really good team and you're a young player, it's easier to look good. That's just facts. But he has looked the part and he hasn't looked out of place and he's looked very comfortable. And I don't think it's nothing, excuse the double negative, that Schmetzer has trusted him this much this early in big games. Of course, when Nico Ladero comes back, the midfield complexion changes and who knows what minutes away to 16-year-old homegrown kid. But like, that's really cool. and And, and I just think he needs... be talked about nationally and should be someone that people are aware of is like really coming on in a good way from Alaska Alaska of all places which is crazy and if you ever there's there's no a
0: hundred a hundred percent I mean he, he like it's not the thing with Obed is it's not only is he you know slotting in and not making mistakes and stuff he actively positively contributes during the game um which, for, for a young guy, especially one who's 16, is very impressive. And, you know, there's this crop of homegrowns that Seattle has right now. There's, like, four main ones that have broken through with the first team. You got Danny Leiva, you got Josh Atencio, you got Reed Bader, Baker Whiting, and you've got Obid. And I, I've been um, more impressed with Obid than any of them so far just because of that, like, the positive influence that he has on a game and his his whole skill set um at 16 yeah it's been that's been probably the biggest revelations of the season so far for seattle is how much they're getting out of him this early
2: i'm gonna say how fitting yeah it's just incredible how fitting it is on a podcast with ari that we conclude on a sounders topic i would expect it and if
0: if
2: if anything i'm more surprised that tom didn't bring it back to new jersey in some fashion
1: John Tolkien. John oh, Tolkien's there we film. go. There we go. Uh, okay. Couldn't, couldn't <laughs> count you out. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, guys. Thanks uh, Thanks for stopping by, giving me an hour here. Time to go go back to running MLSSocket.com. You guys can follow him, follow them on Twitter. You see it. Very easy to intuitive to figure out. Read them on MLSSocket.com. Thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for stopping by.
2: Planning for your next trip?